Hello, I'm Mark, and this is the Fast Track Impact podcast, where we look at how researchers can become more productive and use their work to achieve real-world impacts. Today, I am discussing commercialization and what to do if you think your research might make money and how you can start working with business to develop new ideas together at scale. So this week I ventured beyond the studio, and so to keep the episode a manageable length, I'm not going to share a tip today. But I'd like to introduce my interview a bit before letting you hear what happened. I think if you've not engaged with business before, then it can be really quite intimidating knowing where to start. Your institution will no doubt have an expert team of professional services staff who can help you to navigate the stormy waters of intellectual property and the like. But I wanted to speak to some researchers who have already been on this journey to see what I could learn from them. So this week I went to Lancaster Environment Centre to talk to Andrew Picard and Nigel Paul, who have gone from no involvement or experience with business to working closely with businesses to solve real-world problems. They told me their story and gave me a tour of their state-of-the-art centre that's engaging with business in some really new and exciting ways. Okay, so today I am in the Lancaster Environment Centre with Andy Picard and Nigel Paul. And today we're looking at commercialisation and what to do if you think your research might make money and how you can start to think out of the box to start working with business to create innovations at scale. I'm here at the Lancaster Environment Centre because this, for me, is a fantastic example of a university that has been for some time now thinking out of the box and doing some quite innovative things at a very impressive scale, very successfully. And we're going to find out a little bit more about the approach that, uh, that these guys are using here. I'd like to, to start, Nigel, by asking you a little bit uh, about your experience you uh, have been involved in commercialising ideas from your own research, uh, and I'd just like to hear a little bit about what uh, your experience has been and what the options are for people that think that they might have an idea, they might have some research that could be commercialised. So, Nigel, first of all, just tell us a little bit more about yourself. Okay, so I'm Professor of Plant Science here at the Lancaster Environment Centre. I'm drawn towards the end of my career now, and I guess I spent the first half of my career being a very conventional researcher, focusing on getting the research money in and getting the high-quality research papers out. And it was probably only after I'd been you know, in post for 20 years that the impact agenda, actually delivering wider benefits and research, that really began to, to grow. And for me, the, the main area that's developed into that sort of impact has been based on what was originally some very fundamental research into how plants interact with pests, actually how wild plants uh, interact with pests. And what came from that was an understanding of how plant signalling systems can be important in pest-plant interactions. And it had never really occurred to me that that could be applicable. But sometimes it's talking to somebody or interacting with somebody has a slightly different perspective on things. And in my case, that was a PhD student 
who actually was doing a PhD in that signalling system and said, I think we could use this. And it was one of those things where, as a supervisor, I thought, okay, you know, let, let, him, let him do it. And he was right. And I think left to my own devices, we would never have gone down that route. What we did discover, though, that by applying a signalling molecule to, to plant crop seeds, that you could actually deliver what proved to be commercially relevant pest control. So then the question was, well, how do you take that forward? And for us working in a UK context, the next steps were actually to go back to the research council who'd funded the original research, and that was the Natural Environment Research Council, and they had something called an Impact Accelerator Fund. So we went back, got a fairly short project, one of these Impact Accelerators. We used that to develop a little bit more information, and that was information we really needed to take the next steps towards commercialization. And of course, then the question was, well, what would those next steps be? And for us, we decided to go down a patent route. So the Impact Accelerator produced the additional information we needed to produce a patent. And then beyond that, especially because we were talking about pest controls, this wasn't something we could do on our own. Obviously, if you're talking about pest control, you have a whole series of wider regulatory uh, systems that you have to work within. So having delivered the patent, we then worked with an external partner, Plant Biosciences Limited, who helped us develop wider relationships and ultimately the, the technology was licensed to an international agrochemical company and effectively it's now in their court. So they're developing it, it's been used quite widely on some major crops in the US for example. It's been a really interesting experience. Um, for me, it's been an odd experience in some ways because, you know, as researchers, we feel quite possessive of our research. And one thing I think I've learned from this is there comes a point using that route where you have to let it go, that this has been licensed, it's with the company, and it's their baby, and I've had to move on hmm. to other things. But it's been one way of developing my own research. But I think that experience also got me more widely interested in how we can deliver real-world impact from our research. And I suppose that led me to become more generally involved in the activities you described within the Lancaster Environment Centre, which is looking to build links between high-quality university research and the businesses that perhaps have the power to, to translate that research into to new products, technologies and services. And perhaps it's that wider activity of translating research in general that we might pick up and, and talk again to, to Andy about. Yeah, fantastic. So I want to, to dig into some of the alternative routes that, uh, that you could have taken and that people listening to this might want to take. Um, before I do that, uh, I'm interested, uh, I love it when uh, you, you collaborate with someone new, such as a PhD student, and you end up going off in crazy new routes you never dreamt of before. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, what was it about your, your PhD student? Um, what was his or her name, in fact? Uh, who, who, what was it that made them um, able to spot this? Was it because they'd come from industry? Were they just particularly clever? I don't know. What, what, what do you think helped them to, to spot this? Well, the person in question was called Jason Moore, and Jason was a really interesting PhD student because although he did a PhD in plant ecology, plant physiology, his original degree had been in economics. Uh, and he'd actually worked in the City of London for a while and then had a, 
a vision that there was another way for his career to go, and he came to Lancaster to, to do a master's degree initially, and did a very good master's, and persuaded us that he was the right person to appoint to a PhD. So he brought a very different mindset to it, and it was sometimes the sparks that, that flew off from those two very different perspectives, his and my much more conventional scientific one, that really, I think, led us to, to go in a direction I yeah. would never have taken on my own. Yeah, I, I wondered if that might be the case. But, uh, yeah, so he was trying to escape business and he ended up then helping you to get into business. Was he happy with that? <laughs> no, absolutely. And, you know, Jason with a colleague here is now set up his own company, which yeah. is looking to to apply and, and translate a wider range of our research or plant science research into new products, technology and services. So I think he's found the right balance between his two two types of training. Great. So... You went down the route of uh, applying for a patent uh, and then licensing that to a single company uh, to then commercialise that. Um, before we look at the other options, how did you choose uh, Biosciences Limited or whatever the company was? How did you choose them as the partner to work with? Was that a hard choice? Um, what was the process? I think initially we wondered whether we could do more on our own. But again, especially because we were in a pesticide-related space. You know, there are all sorts of additional challenges there. And we felt, as a university, we didn't have the resources to really go out and, if you like, pitch to the big agrochemical companies. We don't have the right contacts. So we cho chose Plant Biosciences Limited, who I think initially were set up by the UK research councils to be a channel for translation. They had the right expertise and the right contacts, really, to go out and do the pitching on our behalf. So, as I said, we, we, we looked to do it ourselves, but decided that was just going to be too complicated and chose a, a partner who did that very effectively for us. Great, so this is effectively kind of an intermediary step rather than going direct to one company or another who you might want to license it. It's, it's finding an intermediary organisation like this who can actually connect you to the relevant players and advise on who you might want to pitch to and how to actually develop that, that pitch, and that's clearly worked for you. Yeah, it has. And I think, you know, Lancaster has a good team that have real expertise in areas like patent and IP, but no university has all the expertise it necessarily needs to work in some of these complicated spaces. Mm. You know, pesticides are probably a particularly complicated one from a legislative point of view. Had it been a different type of technology, then maybe we would have taken a different route. Okay, so uh, if you decided instead of licensing your IP, intellectual property, to uh, a single uh, company, uh, instead to um, actually license this to multiple different companies, um, what would be for you the pros and the cons, um, not necessarily necessarily just for your own particular case, but more generically, uh, why would you choose, uh, what might be the pros and cons of going for a, a sole licensee uh, versus uh, licensing this to multiple companies? I think you're, you're taking me places which are a bit beyond my, my own expertise. I think in this whole story, ultimately, I'm still a researcher. Uh, and I've drawn very, very heavily on the expertise of colleagues within Lancaster University, in my case, who've been able to advise on those pros and cons. And perhaps that is an important lesson, that I certainly don't claim to be an expert in delivering impact. Hmm. I think I know enough about the science 
to generate the ideas and take those first steps. But I think there does come a point when you need to work with people who are really expert in that field. So I know I haven't answered your question, but I think no. the honest answer is, I don't know, but fortunately, I could work with people who did know what the best route was. Great. And I think the really nice message from this is that uh, just because you've got an idea that you commercial, you, you can commercialise does not mean that you suddenly need to stop being an academic and suddenly become a, a business person. You can, if you want, decide to set up your own company and spin that out. And, uh, and that works for some people. It's a fairly hard, high-maintenance uh, route to go down. Yeah. Um, and you can be more or less involved uh, in the development of the products, um, depending on the kind of agreements that you want to develop with these guys. Point is, you don't need to become an expert and all this stuff there are experts within most institutions who can do this for you find those guys and hold their hand every step of the way and you won't go too far wrong i think that's absolutely right i certainly needed to hold people's hands i mean the beauty of this is although as i said before almost part of the frustration having licensed it we moved on you know the the, the company had the license they dealt with it but that let me get on with the rest of my professional life, the rest of my research, and, and you know, we've done other things since then, some of which we'll, we'll talk to with Andy. Good. So, Andy, I'm interested to um, uh, maybe have a, a wee bit of a, a look around. I'm just going to get up and uh, move with you. Um, as, as we're walking, um, tell, tell us a, a bit more about the, the broader context now. Uh, we're living here in the country uh, with a government, like many governments, that... Uh, that ideally want to stimulate economic growth. Uh, they see the university sector researchers um, as, uh, as people who do innovation, who come up with big ideas. And if we can just get researchers working more effectively with uh, companies, then, uh, then that will solve all of our economic ills and, uh, and we will grow uh, as, as a nation. Um, give us give us some perspectives on on this uh, uh, on that kind of side of things, and just scaling this up now to to the bigger bigger picture. Sure. Well, thanks for that. Um, I my background is that I spent quite a lot of time working with business, and then spent some time working with various streams of funding from the government before I came to work here. What is your job title now here? So I'm the centre manager for the Centre for Global Eco Innovation and my own PhD was done with a company uh, as a co-partner. So we've just stopped in front of a series of boards here. Um, we've left our training rooms, which are used by our businesses, and we're in a building which is used for uh, a number of businesses who are co-located with us here in the university. So we've stopped in front of a, a board with a whole series of names of companies, large and small, who, who have got offices here. Some of them have put um, their whole office here and they've grown and spun out from the university and grown and developed. Um, others put a small part of their business here just as a research centre. And one of the interesting things about moving to scale is that that moves us quickly from a position of it being one idea from one researcher into working with um, companies who have got different series of, of, of scales and, and, and resources. And the one thing about the, 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 these companies, many of them are still relatively small. They're very close to the market. They're very fast moving. They're efficient users of capital. They understand the, the commercial opportunities and the problems. What they don't have, though, is... is um, dedicated R&D facilities. Only 3.6% of the UK's R&D is actually spent by uh, SMEs. Um, and yet governments of all colours talk about growth coming through innovation and also coming through SMEs. There's a bit of a mismatch there in terms of, of the opportunity. 
Um, but we're standing here in a large environment centre, uh, we're standing in a research intensive university, uh, and we do have understanding and capability and resources and materials and facilities and equipment, um, which SMEs probably don't have access to on a day-to-day basis. Um, so we think it's a marriage to put the two together. Now we've done it here by actually having some co-located facility um, so that businesses can put part of their staff, part of their team, part of their understanding here. And Nigel talked about the importance of, of getting ideas from a series of different different places. And um, by actually having um, businesses rubbing shoulders with our academics, then actually we feel that, that starts to spark that, that level of interaction. We probably don't do as much of it as we would really love to. Um, we've only got uh, a couple of buildings here on campus currently where we have those sort of facilities here in the Environment Centre and also our School of Computing and Communications where we have uh, co-located facilities. But um, it's one of the ways in which we started to work with businesses to, to get that interaction of research with the business opportunity. Hmm, fantastic. Can we go upstairs and have a, have a look around? Is that yes, okay? Please. Good. So uh, for me, I think what is really exciting about this is that this is um, a sector of the economy, small to medium-sized enterprises, SMEs, that have huge needs uh, of knowledge uh, and are innovating, uh, and yet uh, there typically hasn't been a huge amount of interaction between uh, the SME sector uh, and uh, universities. Uh, these are companies which don't typically have uh, huge budgets, certainly not when it comes to uh, research and development, R&D. Uh, and I think what is particularly interesting about this is that this is a model that, in theory, enables uh, people to co-produce ideas uh, with each other. So this is not just about a bunch of academics coming up with some bright ideas uh, and transferring them to companies who then put them into the market. This is about uh, companies coming here, rubbing shoulders, as you said, with academics, uh, sharing the kind of real-world challenges that they're facing in a rapidly changing world, changing market, uh, and being able to then co-create solutions with thinkers from the research world. Can you give us some, some examples? So we're, we're standing now up on the first floor of the Lancaster Environment Centre. Uh, give me some examples of the kind of uh, companies uh, sitting behind the doors that we're, we're looking at. Um, Perhaps I could start with that, yeah. Mark. So we, as you say, we've just come upstairs. So this building, which was funded by the European Regional Development Fund, actually offers a range of different spaces that companies can, can occupy. So we walk past one office, which, if you look, has perhaps eight or ten different company names on, and what we have in there are a series of what we call hot desks. So companies can sort of begin their interaction with us in a very light touch and you know, low-cost way by just having a toe in the door, if you like. So often companies will start like that, then we've moved along and we have some biggest offices here. So you may have companies with one or two members of staff based in their office here. Other companies, larger offices, may just have their research uh, component here. So a company along the end called Stop of Technology have their, their, their technical wing based here. And then we've also seen companies, and these are the really nice stories, who've almost started at the smallest end, started with a small office or even a hot desk, and then grown with us. So if we were to go up another floor, a company called the, the REACH Centre uh, has grown with us and now occupies a large part of our third floor. So I think that's been an important message here, to give companies a way of beginning to 
to interact with us and then hopefully grow with us. Uh, and often it, it comes back to what you were talking about with me before. It's that interaction between somebody with an academic mindset and perhaps somebody with a different mindset that can really begin to, mm. to drive those successful interactions that works for everybody's benefit. And to what extent are those interactions managed, planned through activities, events and things like that? Or to what extent are, are they more serendipitous um, and based on kind of people bumping into each other and the, and the fact that you uh, are sharing uh, facilities and uh, are in the same buildings as each other? It's a really interesting question, actually. I think the serendipitous element is something that would be very easy to overlook. But I think sometimes just having different people working in the same space. I know there's a cliche about, you know, the water cooler conversation or whatever. But those things can be really important. And I think one thing we might actually do better here is giving people more space for those informal sorts of interactions. Uh, you know, the, even city things like a good coffee area that brings people together can be really important. I think beyond that, we do have a series of mechanisms through shared seminars. Andy talked about the training facilities downstairs, which you know are used jointly by the academic staff and by companies. Uh, but also things like business breakfasts, a whole series of ways that you can encourage people to come together. Andy, would, would you perhaps want to say a bit more about that? Yeah, also, I'm interested to, to hear what uh, the researchers make of this. Um, do, do researchers give this a wide berth? Uh, do, do they like spending time here? Um, what, what kind of reaction have you got? I mean, this is a, it's a fairly radical way of doing, doing business, um, it's certainly in the university sector. Uh, uh, what, what kind of reaction do, do you have from, from researchers? Um, well, it's radical in some ways, but not in, not in others. And one of the things that we're about is training a generation. So actually, as we bring our researchers through, then often we've engaged them at all sorts of series of levels, if we can, starting at undergraduate level to be working with businesses and then moving them through on, on opportunities to work with businesses, maybe even as a, a master's or a PhD project, and ultimately then through postdocs, uh, and, and as they become embedded and see that there is this opportunity to work uh, with businesses as part of it, then it becomes a natural, natural part of working. So one of the things that we're doing constantly is to try and put opportunities on the table for our businesses that are here, that are co-located with us, to try and find ways of them interacting with our, a wider portfolio of our, of our staff, um, to take undergraduate or, or postgraduate projects as, as part of the, the work that they do. That's, an, that's a resource that they can benefit from, and certainly it's, a, it's an opportunity that our students benefit from as well, in mm. terms of actually working on a real-life project that's got some commercial benefit. So, so we work quite hard at that all, all the way through. One of the keys of it, obviously, is, is funding, and clearly as we move forward, um, we're looking at uh, uh, how the government in the new climate will, will look to keep that partnership working together because it, it certainly needs money just to keep things um, moving along. Um, people only do things if it's their, in their own interests, and, and actually having a little bit of lubrication in that does help. Um, from, from the building itself that we talked about, which was, was part-funded through uh, European Regional Development Funding, you know, we wouldn't be able to rub shoulders if it weren't for that in the first instance, to being able to support um, the work of things like the Centre for Global Innovation, um, in part through um, some of the, the, the funding that we've received. Hmm. Good. I just wonder, uh, any kind of final words uh, from, from both of you uh, at either of these two levels that we've uh, been thinking about, words of advice uh, for people listening to this, uh, whether this is uh, at the kind of the, the more personal level, uh, I've, I've got an idea, um, I've got some research that I think might be commercially valuable, 
um, uh, or whether these are, are people who are beginning to think of the bigger picture and how they can start to reach out um, at a much bigger scale across a, p a particular sector, um, whether it's small to medium-sized enterprises um, or a particular sector within small to medium-sized uh, enterprises or, or much bigger than that. Um, what kind of advice would you give to, to people at, at either of, of these scales? I think, again, it's a really interesting question, Mark. I, as I said right at the beginning, I think I came to this aspect of, of research very late in my career, certainly halfway through my career. And yet, looking back now, it's probably one of the most satisfying things I've done. Yes, of course, as researchers, we all want to have good quality publications. We all want to bring in research money. But for me, actually seeing some of my research used, in this case as an alternative to... to conventional chemical pest control, has been immensely satisfying. And that's led me to, to really spend much more time thinking about how academics can interact with research users in, in the widest sense. And you're right, it's not always an easy transition for academics to, to make. Most of us, uh, when we're being trained, don't think about that sort of thing. But I think almost all colleagues, once they've begun to work with research users have actually also found there's a, a real sense of satisfaction that comes with that. Mm. Of course, nobody's going to drop the need to produce good papers and to bring in research income, but there can be more to that, and I think that brings personal satisfaction. And, of course, certainly in the UK, and I think more widely, that's what government wants us to do as well. So in that sense, it can be a win individually but also a win institutionally, and certainly those institutional wins have driven Lancaster's desire to really push things like this co-location facility and other activities like the Centre for Global Innovation that Andy referred to. Mm. Wonderful. So, Andy, at this, this bigger scale, uh, you've got some ideas. Uh, you want to affect change at a much bigger scale. Uh, what kind of advice would you give to, to people that want to start interacting with business at those, those broader scales? I think the first thing is to be open to ideas. Um, you know, as academics and as, as researchers, um, ideas are really important for us. And actually, sometimes they do come from, from left field. Um, so one of the benefits we've really seen through the work that we've been doing is where we've been able to put different disciplines together um, to look at a problem, solve a problem, where we've been able to bring a different mindset from the commercial world into the, to the issue. And that does bring different challenges, but it, it, it opens opportunities uh, and it, it provides new ways of thinking. And I think that, that provides relevance in terms of what we can do and, and the impact that our research has got. Wonderful. Uh, Andy, Nigel, thank you both very much for this. It's been fascinating. Thank you. Thanks very much. So each week I like to come up with actions that you can put into practice in the coming days. And I think for me the thing that really stood out from what Andy and Nigel told me was that this is really about new ways of thinking. So what I'd like you to do uh, is to try and reach out on purpose this week to someone that you wouldn't naturally or normally talk to in your institution, uh, or perhaps beyond your institution, who you think might be thinking differently about your research and or thinking differently about working with business. Now, it could be uh, an academic from another discipline. Uh, for example, you heard today about uh, an economist coming in as a PhD student and radically changing the ideas of a plant scientist, his supervisor. 
Uh, this could be another plant scientist, for example, who is already working with business or who is more engaged with the sector that you want to work in. Start having that exchange of ideas and understand how they think about these issues and see if they might be a meeting of minds and a change in your thinking. Although more challenging, you might try and identify someone from the business community. It could be through social media or via a friend of a friend and reach out to them, start throwing some ideas around with them, be in listening mode and understand how they think about the issues you are working on. Whether you talk to another academic or someone from business, your final task is to reflect on your own thinking and the ways that you're trying to tackle issues as a researcher and see if there may be a fresh way of thinking that could enable you to engage more effectively with business to develop ideas together in future.